Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate agent with Brown Harris Stevens here in the city. And as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On other shows, like tonight's, we host episodes about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement here in the city. We've looked at the subway, both its history and its art. We've looked at the history of African-Americans in New York, which who went back to the time of the Dutch. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. Believe it or not, they've been here for more than 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. We've looked at our public library systems. We have several, not just one in New York. We've explored some of our greatest train stations and even looked at some of our bridges. Yes, everyone, New York has amazing and fabulous bridges. After the podcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Well, seeing as it's not only election day, but something that happens every four years, the election of a president of the United States, I thought I would take a look at the history of presidential elections in New York. Who were New Yorkers who were involved with them and what events in the city historically had an impact on the presidential elections and the way that the country chose presidents? Our first guest is a returning visitor to Rediscovering New York. It's Kevin Draper. Kevin is a sought-after New York City historian and co-founder of New York Historical Tours. He's an impassioned native New Yorker, and he actively brings to life the incredible and inspiring stories that have made New York the most exciting and influential city in the world. For over 10 years, Kevin has provided top-rated first-class tours and New York experiences to locals and visitors from all over the globe. His dynamic knowledge, professionalism, and gift for storytelling have awarded him consistent five-star reviews. TripAdvisor Certificate of Excellence year after year, and he's won the accolades of the most discriminating clientele. Kevin has led historical talks and lectures for top universities and Fortune 500 companies, and is a respected historical consultant for major media and publications, including CBS, ABC, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Kevin, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Yes, it's great to be back, and it's, uh, I'm glad to be uh, back on the show, for sure. And on this uh, uh, unbelievable day that we're experiencing right now, we're not going to get into question, uh, discussion about current politics, but uh, uh, it is a fascinating time to be alive, and it's going to be a fascinating news night after we sign off tonight and the returns start coming in. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you are a native New Yorker. Where in the, in the metropolitan area did you grow up? So I originally grew up on Long Island. And I was about 45 minutes from the city. So basically my entire childhood and my teenage years, I used to come into the city constantly with my parents and then eventually by myself and um, eventually went to college here in Manhattan and uh, I've never left. So I spent most, pretty much my entire adult life here in New York. (laughs) And how did you get into the business of illuminating and entertaining New Yorkers about the neighborhoods and about our history? So literally from when I was a kid, I mean, probably five or six years old, my parents used to bring me into the city. I just had this incredible fascination with its history. It almost felt like I was traveling to Oz every time I came into the city. Um, So I, as a young kid, I started reading about it, watching documentaries and then coming in and learning it firsthand. So eventually when I got to college age, I went to college, I wanted to study history um, and one thing led to another. And I really, you know, made, had a thought, I mean, could I really do this for a living, take a passion uh, that I have for New York City, and the road for that would have, I was clear, was to be an historian, to be a New York City historian, and to also start a tour company uh, to physically go out and do it with people, also not just in a classroom situation or stuff that could be read. So it's really been a lifelong um, career, really, to be honest with you. My whole life has been about, you know, New York City history and and, and educating people about it. And we'll ask you about some of your current programming a little bit later in the program. Um, 
I want to start off with, with president, uh, presidential elections in the city. Uh, we've had a couple of technical difficulties with our first guest. So we're actually going to be talking about the period right before the Civil War to more recent times. And then we'll go into uh, some older history at the second half of the show. Um, 1860 was such a tumultuous election year. That year was Lincoln. Lincoln was elected. But before we get to that, let's set the stage in terms of what happened in the election of 1856 when the Republicans first ran a presidential candidate and how New York played into the election that took place right before the Civil War. So one thing I'd like to say to all the listeners, which is interesting, and I I always make this point normally, but we're going to be talking about politics, but I'm not talking about politics, if that makes sense, Um, where that I'm not really giving opinions. I'm going to try to explain the facts the best we we know from these different periods in time when it comes to politics and these different elections. So what was happening in the 1850s um, and the elections of that period was the country itself was slowly expanding west. So new states were coming into existence. And there was this question for years Will they be free states or slave states? For the most part, northern states felt that as the country expanded west, that there should be free states. And of course, and then south was, was more uh, feeling that the states that are expanding westward should be slave states. Because the feeling was, if there were too many uh, free northern states, there'd be an imbalance, especially in the Senate. So that's really what was happening in the 1850s, is that there was a real... Um, um, issue with how the the country was going to d- develop. There's something called the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which dealt d- uh, directly with this idea of how and should slavery continue and how and should it actually expand or contrast. And then, of course, the Republicans lost the election of 1856 and um, coming around the horn was the election of 1860. Um, and right before that election, a tall, disheveled, but very able politician who grew up in a frontier state came to New York in the winter of 1860. He made headlines and it helped him catapult, it helped catapult him to the nomination for president. Do you want to talk about that guy and what happened in New York and, and how that led to him running for office? Yes. So the, he was a candidate Abraham Lincoln came to New York. He was actually invited to give a speech at Cooper Union uh, here in New York City. And, you know, a lot of people will look to the 1960 election and talk about how politics really changed with television and the idea of your image and how you portray yourself in front of people. But really, you can argue this was happening 100 years before. So when Lincoln came to New York, the first thing was he stayed at the Astor Hotel which was in lower Manhattan, diagonally across from City Hall. And it was also known as Newspaper Row. So all the major newspapers were there. And a lot of people would spend time in the restaurant and at the hotel. So Lincoln knew this. He was very, he knew where to stay to meet the right people to create some buzz about this speech he was going to give. Because remember, he's candidate Lincoln. Nobody knows who this guy is. And he knew that New York was becoming this media capital even before we started calling it a media capital. He knew that if he went over big in New York, that he could possibly get the nomination from this. And this is before Comes the age of New television, York. a different kind of media market. That's right. That's what I mean. So like the newspapers and photography was relatively new. So we actually went and had a photo session done. Um, some very famous photos of, of Lincoln were done here in New York. Not only that, his famous top hat, that famous top hat that he would be sort of ever forever uh, known for, he bought that while on this trip in New York. So his image of the way he looked, the way he was being photographed, the reason being was he felt that if he went over well at that speech at Cooper Union, the photograph would accompany that speech to be printed in newspapers. So not only were they able to read the words, they would actually see him in a photo and maybe identify with him. So he gives this speech at Cooper Union, and it's primarily uh, a speech about anti-slavery. Now, like I said before, I'm trying not to get political, but what happens over time is you have real facts about what things are really based on, and then you have opinion. But as time goes by, the opinion seeps into sometimes the facts, and the facts can get changed. 
but how do you change facts if they're facts, right? I mean, so if I want to make this clear that this election had a lot to do with slavery and what, what eventually happens with the Civil War, a lot has to do with that. So this speech that Lincoln gave was a basically an anti-slavery speech. And what he did that was brilliant, he tied most of the speech into uh, a talk, a history lesson about the founding fathers and what their thoughts and feelings were about slavery. Um, and the idea of, you know, the fact that they really believe that it should not necessarily be expanded, that it should be eventually phased out. Because even in the 1770s, when this country was being founded, slavery was an issue. And for the most part, they felt it would die out over time. So by 1860, it didn't die out. It was growing. So Lincoln wanted to make it clear in that speech about what the founding fathers were really talking about, what they really meant. See, that's point, one of the points he was trying to drive home. And that he was trying to say that to vote against that, you were voting against what the founding fathers and what this country is really about. Um, the speech went over so well, um, even greater than he could possibly have imagined, that not only was it reprinted through newspapers all over the country with his photograph, but that that's what helped seal the nomination for him and think about how that changed history. And most historians will say, you know, how important New York was for Lincoln. But let's forget about what everybody else says. What did Lincoln say? Well, Lincoln said many times throughout his life, it's New York that made me president. Wow. I want to ask you one more question before we go to a break. And that is that um, did New York, you know, I get that um, uh, being in New York, and in the media market, and I was listening to another interesting uh, show a couple of uh, days ago that talked about Edgar Allan Poe having moved here in the 1840s, specifically because the magazine industry was being based here. So there, there was that in the 1840s and 1850s, New York was booming as a, as a, as a media place. But did, did New York Republicans specifically play a significant role in helping Lincoln get nominated? Um, absolutely, because they that was what part of their party platform was all about was um, they believed that the idea of uh, slavery expanding, that's one of the reasons why the, the Republican party was formed um, is that they were um, really against slavery. So the fact that Lincoln was able to speak so well against it, um, this is what really, this is one of the main reasons that again, the Republican party was originally formed was that they were very against the spread of slavery. So, the, and so Lincoln was the perfect um, candidate for them. So yeah, so they, and there were a lot of people in New York at the time, a lot of it was being written about, a lot of the big players in New York, a lot of the big um, financial powers were against slavery. I and mean, you can go all the way back to Alexander Hamilton, the first um, abolitionist society in New York was founded by him in, here in New York. So there was always this, anti-slavery feeling in New York it was pretty strong for a long time. So yeah, so the Republican Party here really started to gather strength. And a lot of it, by the way, you know, if you went back to this period of time, most people, if you thought, what, what was the financial, um, intellectual, cultural capital of America, most people would have thought of Philadelphia. That was really what with the future, that was, gonna, that was considered to be sort of the city. So New York was transforming itself into this, cultural, intellectual, financial capital, and all of that combined what they wanted to become a political power also. So the Republican Party got a lot of strength from those in New York that were trying to make New York City the city of, of, of America and eventually the world. I mean, they really, they were thinking in those, in those terms back then. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Kevin, I want to pick up on that election and the election of 1864 also in New York. Um, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. 
Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We're back to Rediscovering New York, and our first guest on the show about presidential elections in New York City. My guest is Kevin Draper, who's the founder and owner of New York Historical Tours. Kevin, getting back to the uh, election um, uh, in 1860, the one where New York helped propel Lincoln to the nomination, in New York, Lincoln just got 53% of the vote, not an overwhelming number, even though it was significant. We have this lofty view of New York, uh, the recently ascendant Empire State, as you talked about economically, you know, doing the right thing and voting overwhelmingly for Honest Day. But it wasn't true. Why wasn't Lincoln's support greater in 1860 in New York? Believe it or not, I mean, even we just give an example. Um, if you went back 50 years earlier, about 40% of New Yorkers had slaves, believe it or not. Uh, even when this was the first capital, George Washington brought slaves with him to the presidential mansion. And so it's surprising how, sla- how big slavery actually was in New York for a long time. By the time you get to Lincoln's election, there the, the voices against slavery were very loud, say, in the media. And definitely... Um, some of the upper classes, because we're getting into the Gilded Age at this point, were against it. But statewide, surprisingly, the feeling was a little bit less than that. And even some of those in New York, because business was so tied with slavery. So there might be this feeling that slavery should come to an end and people might talk openly about it, but they didn't necessarily vote that way because the New York economy was still tied in with slavery. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it, it, partly there was uh, some racism, to be honest with you, at the, at the time. So in other words, when you have someone like Lincoln for the end of slavery, there were a lot of people, especially a lot of the newer immigrants that came to New York. Now, I don't want to lay all this on the, on the Irish, Irish myself, I got part Irish in me. But when you have like a lot of Irish coming to New York, which is a perfect example, the very idea that you would have these freed black people, freed blacks coming up from the South. They felt it was competition for work. So a lot of like manual labor type jobs, a lot of these freed slaves that were coming up um, were taking jobs, or at least that's the way it was felt. So you had all these immigrants pouring into New York, looking to take the, the worst, most horrible jobs you can think of because they just wanted to you know, get some sort of work. And then the feeling was, well, wait a minute, if we, if slavery ends and all these people come up from the South, there's going to be competitions for the jobs. So that was another big reason. It was about jobs. It was about money. It was about business. But a lot of people wouldn't say it out, out, openly talk that way. So that's why the election might be a lot closer than you would have thought it would have been for Lincoln. And of course, we had the uh, draft riots in July of 1863. And while um, uh, the cause was ostensibly mostly because of uh, 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 sort of like in the South, uh, a rich man's war and a poor man's fight, um, uh, the uh, most of the violence that did occur, most of the people who were murdered were people of color by by, by mobs. And, and, 
That's exactly right, because people here felt, hey, why are we going to go down and fight this civil war to free the black people? That, that's, that was the thought. That's exactly right. Well, um, the next year in 1864, Lincoln was running for re-election, um, and um, he got even less a proportion in New York State. New Yorkers, only 50.5% of New Yorkers voted for Abraham Lincoln. 49.5% voted for the Democratic candidate, former General McClellan. Why did support in New York State um, go down even more so in, 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 in Lincoln's second election than the first? That was a direct result of the war because for most of the war, it looked as if the North could lose. The casualties were rising. So more and more, you know, people were dying, you know, weren't coming home from the war. It was costing a lot of money. And again, this, this, there was this thought that, you know something, we might lose this war. So a lot of people looked at supporting Lincoln and continuing this war and continuing this fight wasn't worth it. So that was one of the reasons why there were a lot of people here in New York. And, and by the way, for certain businesses, obviously, some businesses um, do well during a time of war, but there's a lot of other ones that don't. So there were people that felt that the war was just too disruptive to everybody's way of life. And the fact that it, you know, it went on year after year after year, basically mostly through his presidency, the thought was, well, if we reelect him, you know, how much is the war going to go on for another four years? You know, so that, that was, that was the feeling. Um, luckily there was a couple of major battles that were won just before the election. Um, and that's probably why he ended up winning by a pretty good margin ultimately throughout the, the rest of the States. Um, only because that only literally right before the election, did it look like the, the tide might turn in the North's favor. Mm. You know, and during the time of the Civil War, Brooklyn, which was the third biggest city in the country, was its own city. It didn't become part of uh, Consolidated in New York until 1898. And just like in New in Manhattan, in New York City, then New York City, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, anti um, uh, anti Civil War sentiment in Brooklyn because a lot of the economy in Brooklyn, especially at the waterfront, was tied to was tied to the, uh, things that came from the slave trade. Although uh, Brooklyn yes. uh, has to take credit for a lot of abolitionist activity and abolitionism, which uh, as a native Brooklynite, I'm very proud. Um, yes. before we, but before we talk about another famous New York son around the turn of that century, I want to talk briefly about a couple of other elections in the middle of those. One was the election of 1880. Um, support in New York played a prominent role in that election. As a New Yorker, was on the ballot, he on the ticket. He was ch- actually Chester Arthur. He was born in Vermont, but he was uh, a New Yorker, and he uh, ran uh, for vice president. Uh, he became president after the death uh, of James Garfield, who was uh, assassinated. Um, Arthur was not nominated for a uh, for a full term by the Republicans, but another New Yorker, uh, I'm sorry, by the Democrats, but another New Yorker, Governor Grover Cleveland was. Um, he was nominated by the Democrats and he won the election in 1884. Interesting about him, he was nominated in 1888. He lost, but was nominated again in 1892 and he won. <laughs> Not only was he the only president who didn't serve consecutive terms, but also was the only sitting president defeated in a general election who ran again and subsequently got elected. And he was a New Yorker, Grover Cleveland. Well, that brings us to the next oh, theme. One, one, yes. one quick thing about Grover. I was going to say, one thing about Grover Cleveland, very interesting, by the way, when he was elected president, he did not turn around and fire all the Republicans that were working, that he had the power to get rid of in Washington. He kept anyone that he thought was actually really doing a good job and keep the most qualified people, which is interesting. I mean, how many, how many people do you know, politicians, that when they come into office, if they have power to get rid of people that are in the opposite party, would just do it? So that was one of the reasons I think people liked him at the time, because he actually kept people that deserved to be in the office. Oh. So actually, you could say that it was a New Yorker who saw the value of a professional civil service. And while they may, I don't know if there were laws uh, to protect civil servants then, he, he certainly uh, uh, imbued the uh, spirit of having professionals to do the business of the people at certain levels of government. Absolutely. And that brings us to New York's next famous son, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, He really was a quintessential New Yorker at the time. He had many different positions, including police commissioner of the city. He was governor of New York, and he was also the hero of San Juan Hill during the Spanish-American War. 
Um, McKinley's vice president during his first term, Garrett Hobart, he actually died while in office. So, of course, he couldn't be nominated for a second term. Would have been a little difficult. Why was Roosevelt uh, included on the ticket uh, for McKinley's second term? Okay, so the one thing with Theodore Roosevelt, and I'm going to back it up just a moment. His father, Roosevelt Sr., They were one of the wealthiest families in New York, the Roosevelts. They go all the way back to the beginning. Some of the original Dutch settlers were the Roosevelts, and they were very wealthy. But his father, Theodore Roosevelt Sr., was one of the first that started doing a lot of philanthropy work. His feeling was, I don't need to spend every minute of my life trying to make more money. We could do some good. We should do some good here in the city. So Give an example. He, he gave money to the uh, Children's Aid Society to help poor and unfortunate children. His father was one of the founders of the Museum of Natural History. And his father was also one of the founders of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts. And Theodore Roosevelt idolized his father. Now, when his father died and Roosevelt was you know, trying to figure out what to do throughout his life, that's one of the reasons why he got into politics because he started to realize that it wasn't simply enough just to give money or to start organizations. He was one of the first that really believed in the power of politics, what could be done. Because before Roosevelt, it was not a glamorous career. If you were a wealthy person going into politics, people looked down at you and thought, oh, why would you want to go into politics? That's, that's for the common people. So Roosevelt felt the opposite. So he becomes governor of New York. And he's, the terms we'd use today, you would say he was very progressive and very liberal very open-minded, very progressive. And he started putting these things into effect in New York state, like limiting how many hours people could work, fighting against uh, child labor, um, certain types of environmental laws that would start to come into effect. Again, just think of him being very progressive. Um, And it really kind of frightened a lot of people in the Republican establishment because there was quite a few people that didn't, he felt he was going too far. And they literally called him a traitor to his class. So when he would go to some of the private clubs in New York, people would pull him aside and say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You know, it's one thing to care for the poor, but you're doing too much, right? And Roosevelt didn't care. But he, he was so effective of what he was doing up in Albany and really opening people's eyes up to what can what politicians can do, what good they can do for the people. With McKinley, at the back in those days, when you were vice president, that was a dead end job. No one ever heard from you again. You literally had nothing to do except sit there in case the other guy got assassinated, right? And for a lot of people, their career ended. You'd be vice president for whatever, one term, two terms, and you would just kind of disappear. You'd never be heard of again. Well, maybe history will uh, will repeat itself after this election, but not to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So they, they basically forced Roosevelt to accept the nomination. He really didn't want to do it because he, he kind of knew what they were doing to him, but they were, they, he knew that if he didn't do it, he would just lose any support he had from the Republican party. So he did it. So now he's vice president and as far as the Republicans are concerned, or people on the far right, as far as they're concerned at the time, his career is over. What happens? McKinley gets assassinated. Their ultimate nightmare. He came to power. He got the ultimate uh, uh, job in the land. So in other words, the reason they put him there is so he would have no power and he would disappear. With the assassination, of course, everything is going to change in this country because of that. And we're going to continue this part of the conversation and talk about Teddy Roosevelt after he becomes president, um, after a short break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So Now You Know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, Mortgage Specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495. 0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good morning, New York, with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris Stevens. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note, before we continue our conversation with Kevin, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm indeed a real estate agent in this amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 646- 306-4761. Our guest on the show is Kevin Draper. Kevin is the founder of New York Historical Tours. And before we go back to Teddy Roosevelt, Kevin, I want to ask you about the uh, offerings that New York Historical Tours is giving right now as we are in the middle of the pandemic. But I know you have been providing some really interesting programming. Yes, to let everybody know. Um, so if you go to our website, New York Historical tours.com. So it's all spelled out, newyorkhistoricaltours.com. You'll see all our tour offerings. And for right now, with everything that's going on with the pandemic, I'm actually doing all the tours personally, and they're actually private tours. So if you call up or email, uh, we can organize a tour for you. But again, I'll be doing them, and it'll be private. In other words, there'll be no strangers with us. It'll just be you, friends, family, um, co-workers, whatever, whatever it may be. And we have been doing them through the pandemic and, uh, they're all safe and they're done, you know, with social distancing and masks and everything. But I want to make sure people are perfectly comfortable doing these tours. And I will say, um, what's interesting, what's happening, the negative obviously is everything with the pandemic, but it's actually probably the most interesting time to do a tour in New York because everything is relatively empty. Uh, when we do say a Times Square tour and we're talking about the theater district and all the history there, it's re- no one's really there. Um, so anywhere you choose to go in New York City, it's a very interesting time to do it because, again, it's very quiet and it's a good way to sort of rediscover New York or, or discover New York um, by taking one of the tours. So that's the best thing you could do is just reach out to me and I'll, I'll get back to you personally about putting something together. And I also do lectures and Zoom talks, too. So. I do stuff for companies and what have you. So we can also organize stuff to do over Zoom and stuff. 
And since you're doing tours on demand, Kevin, it's not even like someone has to fit into a certain schedule if they want to see a tour, let's say, of the battery. It's just like you offer the tour and it's just you scheduling that private tour with them. So people can literally take take any tour and schedule it with that's, you. That's exactly right. We're available seven days a week. We can you know, figure out what time is best for whoever wants to take the tour. And again, I'll be doing everything personally. So you'll, be, you'll actually be with me doing the tours. And Kevin is a great tour guide, listeners. Take it from me. Um, well, getting back to Teddy Roosevelt, um, mm-hmm. Roosevelt ran for re-election. I mean, he, um, uh, McKinley was actually, he was, I don't know if, it, the, if assassinated was the right word. He was shot and mm-hmm. he was, uh, he was actually recovering, but took a turn for the worse. And he unexpectedly yep. died. I think about a week yep. after he was, he was shot. So Roosevelt becomes president. Um, he ran for re-election and after that election, that's when he became the famous trust buster. Um, and actually uh, um, worked against many of the business interests that played a prominent r- role in New York politics, as as you mentioned. Did the New York establishment react to Roosevelt's progressive agenda as negatively while he was president as they did while he was governor? Not as much as you would think. Now, I want to give an example. You take one of the most powerful people in New York and probably the country, maybe even the world, J.P. Morgan, for instance. Uh, they knew each other. Roosevelt knew these people personally through years and years and years of being fellow New Yorkers. They knew each other in the club scene and just on a social level. So Roosevelt, as much as they might rail against him in public, ultimately they knew that what he was going to do, he was going to do it anyway, but he was willing to work with people. So yes, he was doing the trust busting. Absolutely. But it's sort of like he was, um, they were willing to work with Roosevelt. They knew what they were, they, they, they knew what they were dealing with. They knew his popularity. So they felt it's better to work with him than against him. So that was one of the big things. And, you know, and Roosevelt wasn't completely naive about businesses growing and being successful. So in other words, the idea of trust busted, Busting didn't mean that he was trying to destroy companies at the same time. In other words, he knew that there was some sort of balance that you had to have. So when you talk about the establishment in New York City, did they work with Roosevelt? Yes, they did, because they, they, they just knew how popular he was. So, Why didn't Roosevelt run for, because he'd only been elected once in his own right in 1904, why didn't he run in, for re-election in 1908? The biggest mistake of Roosevelt's life that he himself would say was the biggest mistake of his life. When McKinley was assassinated, he finished McKinley's term. Then he ran to get elected on his own and he won almost in a landslide. He was so big and so popular. What he did, he said, I will never run again because at the time there was no laws against it. But there was nothing that said that you'd only ha- you only could um, run for two terms. There were no term limits for presidents. Okay, so it was just George Washington who did that, and everybody else followed that. No, everyone was afraid to run for a third term because then it would seem like you know you're a dictatorship or you're doing something. You know, it's a power grab. So no one ever did it. So when Roosevelt said, "I'm not going to run again," everyone around him were floored because he never told anybody that he was going to say this. So in other words, there was no time for his advisors or anybody to explain to him, you didn't run for, you didn't run and and weren't president for two terms. You finished somebody else's term. Then you won your own term. So the, the next election would have been your second term and everyone would have agreed with that. Nobody would have said that you were doing a power grab, especially because he was so popular. I mean, he was, he would have won, the third, you know, his second term in a landslide. So when it was coming time to run for re-election again, he held to that. He didn't want to do it, but he realized it was a mistake later because he was very friendly with Taft and he felt that Taft, he would basically say, this is my successor and that he would probably win the election and he'll carry on with my programs and what I want to do. Um, so that was Roosevelt's mistake. He did not have a first term. He completed somebody else's term. So really, he was only a one-term president in a way. He should have ran for that second term. And he regretted that again for the rest of his life because he would have gotten that second term. 
Well, he did run again in 1912, but he didn't yes. win. And in fact, it was, uh, I believe it was he and Taft who split the vote that uh, facilitated the election of a Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, in 1912 to, to the presidency. And by the way, Wilson won with the lowest majority in the history of all elections. Since that, since that, since that ticket was split between Roosevelt and Taft, uh, Wilson, I think, won with 40% of the vote or something like that. And, and, and Roosevelt came in second. So it's a shame because if the Republicans maybe would have let him take the nomination, they would have won in a landslide for sure. Well, we had another New York governor, Al Smith, who ran for president in 1928. Um, he didn't win and he didn't even win his home state. Yeah. Why didn't the governor of New York win his own home state in that election? So he was extremely popular uh, in New York City for sure. New York City, for sure. Um, you know, this guy that came from nothing and worked his way up, so to speak. And he was, it's controversial, you know, we he, talk grew, about corrupt. he grew up in the slum. He can't, you know, he was, he, he had a, I think he had a sixth or an eighth grade education. He worked his way up, became a member of the assembly and then became that, governor. That's right. He always, he always says, I graduated from FFM, Fulton Fish, Fish Market. <laughs> that that was his. That's what he said. That was my that was my education. The Fulton Fish Market in the streets of New York. Um, but with the problem with, with Al Smith when he ran for president, there were several things. First off, he was a committed wet. There's prohibition has happened. Believe it or not, outside of New York City, a lot of people in the state were happy with prohibition. It's only the people in New York City that were uh, outraged by it. So here he was openly talking about we should get rid of prohibition. And a lot of people in New York State didn't want that. Um, so that was one big thing for Al Smith. And he was a real fighter for the working class and the poor in New York City, which that wasn't considered, it wasn't much of an issue in the rest of the state. And, and he was Catholic. That was one of the biggest reasons why he lost that election, the anti-Catholicism, so to speak. So in other words, throughout the rest of the strait, there was such a, and the rest of the country, by the way, he lost in the landslide because people, they were running cartoons showing him as a puppet to the uh, the Pope, for instance. You would see these political cartoons in magazines. So people were telling, by the way, think about 1960 with John F. Kennedy. The issues he had about being Catholic, and everyone said, oh, he's going to be the first Catholic president. So we're talking about, you know, 30, 40 years before that. So being a Catholic, being a wet, getting, trying to get rid of prohibition. And by the way, this is one of the first campaigns where there was a lot of radio. So when you talk about media, a lot of people heard the candidates for the first time on a mass scale. And what did they hear? That real New York New accent. York. Yeah. Now I'm a New Yorker. I don't think I have an accent, but for some reason, when I travel around, people pin me as being a New Yorker. I don't know how, why or how. We, we speak proper English. Everyone else has an accent. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, the, it's, but, the, it's our version but, of the King's English in New York, especially if you're from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So he had a real thick, heavy New York accent. So when people heard that on the radio, even in New York State, and you're asking about why did he lose New York State, remember, there's almost like two different worlds between New York City and New York State. So when they heard that accent on the radio, people are sitting at home going, oh, he's too much of a New Yorker. New Yorker meaning New York City, not New York City. Uh, and then he lost lost in a landslide to Herbert Hoover. That's uh, right. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another New Yorker who actually beat Hoover on his second uh, go around for the White House. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift. Educate and power. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc.
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back and you're back to Rediscovering New York and our special Election Day episode about New Yorkers who made a difference in presidential elections. And that brings us to, in my mind, who was probably the greatest president of the last century and who was also a New Yorker, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Um, Roosevelt actually succeeded Al Smith for governor in 1928. When, when Smith ran for the presidency, Roosevelt ran for the governorship. He won. He also ran again in 1930 and won. We had uh, our uh, governors uh, serve for two-year terms back in those days, not four-year terms. Uh, and then he ran, but he beat Herbert Hoover, and probably because of the depression that was uh, ensuing, and Hoover's uh, polit- policies just weren't working, and people thought of him as being a little bit uh, callous. Oh. That wasn't a, I, that could have been a question, but it was more of a statement. Um, but then uh, Roosevelt's second election um, in 1936, uh, that he won in a landslide. Um, he only lost two states, Vermont and Maine. Um, why did the country support this New Yorker to for a second term of office in the election of 36? So the thing with Roosevelt, keep in mind when he first came into office, remember, we're deep into the Depression. And when you looked at Herbert Hoover, who was a Republican, a lot of blame went to him. I can honestly say unfairly, you can't put all the blame on Hoover. Definitely not. There were a lot of factors to the Great Depression and what happened. But so, um, you know, a a change of party was definitely going to happen. But the big thing with Roosevelt, um, Franklin Roosevelt, who was a Democrat, and his cousin, Teddy Roosevelt, who was a Republican, Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt, idolized his cousin, absolutely idolized him and followed a very similar uh, career path. Um, Secretary of the Navy, um, going uh, governor of New York, pretty much almost the exact career path. And the one thing with FDR, part of what he did when he became president the first term and then the next couple of terms, he, in many ways, you could point to the fact that he was continuing a lot of things that that um, Teddy Roosevelt wanted to do. So a more progressive way of, 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 of governing. Um, again, you know, in terms of workers' rights and the environment and a whole host of other things. Um, so I think that what happened was with, with FDR, the popularity was one, the Democrats were very happy with what he was doing uh, in terms of president. He was using the radio to communicate with people. So people heard his voice every night with these fireside chats. You know, he's, he's, he's making, he's saying things like, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So he's a great communicator. He made people feel better just with his words. But then you even had people that were Republicans that, again, gravitated towards him because they almost didn't feel guilty switching parties or voting for him because they felt that he was so... Uh, tied in in so many ways with Teddy Roosevelt. So that's one of the reasons I think that that you had this great appeal of FDR. Um, And by the way, he didn't really 
have necessarily that real New York accent that Al Smith had, by the way. They said, if anything, if you listen to FDR, if you listen to him talking, it's even hard to describe what that, what that accent is. It's sort of a very affluent accent. I don't even know how you would describe it, but Patricia, it didn't maybe. sound like he was <laughs> from Brooklyn. No. Yeah, no. it was just something about it. So when you heard him on the radio, people, because, you know, radio, keep in mind, it's so important, just like TV today. When people heard him throughout the country, they didn't immediately think, oh, that New Yorker. They didn't think mm-hmm. that at all. Um, and by the way, even people that were against prohibition, that they did not want it to disappear, a lot of people started realizing that we could get, we should get rid of uh, prohibition, even people that were for it because of the economy. One of the first things that Roosevelt did was get rid of prohibition because they felt, forget, because people knew at this point, by the time Roosevelt was elected president the first time, everyone knew that you could still get liquor anyway, that the mob was kind of running all that. So why not make it legal and tax it? So he made the, you know, so he, he de-legal, um, decriminalized alcohol again and got rid of that. So that's some of the reasons why he was so popular. Again, he, he seemed to, to, to cross party lines with a lot of people. And when Roosevelt ran for re-election in 1940, he actually ran against a New Yorker. There were two New Yorkers running in that election, Wendell Wilkie and Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt ran for an unprecedented third term in office, which he won. And uh, then he ran again in uh, 1944, and another New Yorker ran against him. Uh, uh, you say the name governor. He was the governor of New York, Governor Thomas Dewey. Most people remember uh, Dewey as running against Truman when Truman was running for his first elected term as president. Um, but actually, Dewey ran twice. Um, why did uh, Dewey was defeated by Roosevelt in 1944? Why did the Republicans nominate Dewey again against Truman? What was what was behind that? Believe it or not, so Dewey, you could, he, he was somewhat popular. And you, again, I'm only using terms that we all think of today. If, if you were to say someone was really conservative or very liberal, think about that today, right? If you use those terms back then, today, seem, today things seem to be very black and white. You know, you're either very liberal or you're very uh, conservative, right? We have this real divide. Not so as much back then. So someone like Dewey, there was there were a lot of things you could point out that he seemed very liberal and progressive about, but then he also had sort of more this conservative side to him. Um, so that's why he appealed to a lot of people, and and people knew, by the way, in that that next election, that last election after year, a lot of people did know that he was sick behind the scenes. Um, so there were people that felt that Dewey might have a real chance, and they felt that you know. Roosevelt running for a fourth term, they thought they could use that against him also. Turns out, by the way, one of the reasons why Roosevelt stayed so popular is a lot of his um, New Deal money was spread evenly throughout the country, meaning that he didn't necessarily reward a Republican, I mean, sorry, a Democratic state or a Democratic mayor. Matter of fact, one of the biggest recipients of that money was New York City, and we had a Republican mayor. So that helped in, in FDR's appeal that it really uh, transcended party lines for that very reason. But the reason to answer that, to make that clear with Dewey, is because he was this guy that was considered, you could look at him in either, you could, any way you looked at him, you could find a reason to vote for him. At least that's the way it was felt. And uh, he also was a New Yorker. Um, speaking yeah. of another New Yorker, uh, someone ran for president twice and lost against the same person. He wasn't a New Yorker, but the person who won was a New Yorker. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower, he wasn't from New York originally, but when he ran for president, most people don't know that he was the president of Columbia University for five years, from 1948 to 1953. Mm -hmm. Kevin, we're almost out of time, sadly, but there's one, um, we have to talk about one would-be president who also was a four-termer of a different kind, uh, Governor and Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. Um, He ran for president in the 60s. He became vice president. He was the only one to be appointed, not elected. He was appointed by Gerald Ford. I think it was either the 26th or the 27th Amendment. I've forgotten which one under which he was uh, um, appointed and confirmed by Congress. Um, What happened to him? Why did he uh, why did he crash and burn as a national politician and didn't get anywhere after he uh, after the vice presidency? So with Rockefeller, there is no question where, again, it's funny how when you talk about, you know, is somebody really liberal or progress, uh, liberal or, or conservative, you could look at Rockefeller both ways. So in terms of being a New Yorker, he was very 
uh, progressive in a lot of ways. And one of the biggest um, uh, debates at that time was everything about abortion. There was a lot of talk about abortion, abortion, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. He was pro-choice. Um, and that was really starting to divide the Republican Party. There were many in the Republican Party that were pro-choice and those that were um, pro-life. So that was becoming a real serious issue. And basically, Rockefeller, who was drifting, you might say, further to the left, and Ford felt like he needed to go more, a little more to the right, Okay, and I'm trying to talk in political terms of today so everybody knows what I'm talking about. So where Ford was starting to get a little more conservative, he realized that Rockefeller might be a liability on the ticket. So he he really didn't want him to run again. And Rockefeller was fine with that at, at first. Ford, by the way, when he lost the election, the election was very close, regretted that. He said that was the biggest mistake he made, that he should have kept Rockefeller and and because believe it or not, a lot of the the more progressive ways that Rockefeller thought, so did Ford. It's amazing to think this, but at the time he did. So he really should have kept him. He probably would have won the election. As for Rockefeller, why didn't he continue on his career? He was failing in health, and we we found out later he he was having an affair. So it looked like this whole thing was about to blow up. So that's why. He, he kind of backed away from politics and he wanted to go more into philanthropy anyway. He was doing a lot of things in New York. So that's why he wanted to get out of politics. And he had the ultimate failure in health while he was having an affair physically. Anyway, that, yeah, that. I didn't want to say that, but that's right. That's what happened. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, I, th- I think there was a daily news or a New York post headline. Anyway, on that uh, note, uh, Kevin Draper of New York historical tours. I want to thank you so much for being a guest today and also taking up the full hour on the show. Um, even though uh, our first guest wasn't able to make it during, due to a technical difficulty, with everything that we've talked about and all that you've illuminated us with, I can't imagine having done this in a half an hour. So thank you very, very much. Absolutely. Well, we've just finished this week's Election Day episode. Uh, I want to remind everyone, if you, uh, it's going to be coming up at 8 o'clock. If you live in New York and you haven't voted, you still can get to the polls by 9 p.m. and have your voices heard. If you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. The name of that page is the same as the show, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, Mortgage Banker in TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent in Brown Harris Stevens in New York. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening is the amazing Sam Leibowitz, for which we, I think we should have a uh, radio engineer appreciation week, especially after today's show. Um, Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. And don't forget to vote. at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hi i'm graham dobbin join me every thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc we speak to people from business sport military and politics all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. 
on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 